I've been reading a few of the commencement addresses this year and found myself grateful that I have never been asked to give one. It is a weighty responsibility with students and family and faculty and even sometimes the press listening in. And it's clear that what people want in a commencement address is it to be short, funny, and profound. You know me well enough to know I would fail the short part. I can do the funny part. And for the profound part, I would have to preach a sermon which would guarantee even more that it would not be short. But serendipitously this morning on Ascension Sunday, it tells us about Jesus' own commencement address to the disciples as he is about to leave them finally, even in resurrected form, so that they may commence their journey, their life as his followers. And whether you read it in Luke or in Matthew or in Acts, it is clearly a graduation moment. Jesus answers two questions in his farewell commencement address. Why? And where? And it turns out that the answer to one question is the answer to the other question. Both questions share the same answer. Who are you? Who am I? What is my purpose? Why do I exist? And where am I supposed to go? Where am I sent? With whom am I called to be? Listen to the text from Acts 1, verses 6 through 10, and see if you can find the answer to those two questions. They gathered on the Mount of Ascension, and when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is now the time that you will restore the kingdom of Israel? And he replied, it's not for you to know the times or the periods that God has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. This is the word of the Lord. The disciples wanted a plan. Zip it up, give them a plan and a strategy. After all, they had been with him the three years of his last life. They had walked those dusty trails. They had seen him heal and love and embrace the lost, the last, the least. They had seen him tragically hung on a cross. They had witnessed him in his resurrection presence for 40 days. Now they intuitively knew that he was about to leave them. 
that he would soon depart, and they wanted a plan. What now? It's like a child asking in the back seat of a car, are we there yet? How much longer will it be? So they ask, is this the time now, Jesus, when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Almost everyone in the Bible back then thought that it was always about Israel. They were God's chosen people going as far back as Exodus, as God chose them to cross the Red Sea into the wilderness toward the Promised Land. The story of their deliverance is the underlying story of the whole Old Testament, if not the Bible. The Torah is about Israel. The Psalms are about Israel. The prophets are about Israel. Jesus, the Messiah, the expected Messiah, was the expected Messiah for Israel. You couldn't think past Israel. They're all so human. What is it about us, that thing in us, the need to localize or tribalize truth? We're always tempted by it, especially when we are in threat or fearful. Is now the time to make Israel great again? It's about their self-identity, which is all the rage these days, I think probably a fad. I identify as a neo-reformed, postmodern, southernized, Caucasian, heterosexual male, male, overweight, husband, father, grandfather, and preacher in the PCUSA. Anyone who wants to identify with me with that is welcome into my world. I can understand the need for self-identification when you have always been told that your self and identity is worthless. Yes, that's vitally important. But I think there is something greater than that before us, and that's exactly what Jesus tries to give. One of you was telling me her son said, I self-identify as a military attack helicopter and invite anyone who shares that identity into my space. This is an evolutional trait for us to become smaller and smaller in our particularity and self-identities. I think probably because back then, evolutionally, when we were threatened by whatever it is, wild animals and tribes we were threatened by, the less risky you were and the more localized you were, probably the more you survived. You didn't just embrace all the tribes around you and all the universal elements of the world. You became more and more localized and inwardly focused. It's an evolutional thing. And when we default this way, we forget that unless we give into a new way of being, that evolutional default always leads to death. Europe thought of itself as the Christian continent two centuries ago, and now it's probably the most agnostic and atheist. The Presbyterian Church thought of itself as probably the 
second largest and most important Protestant church in the world, and now we are way down the list. We focus on our own survival and our own inward being, and the sooner we give in to that, the sooner we give in to dying, because all evolution shows us that if you cannot move past yourself and take a risk and grow and stretch, death is inevitable. So the focus is on my space, my way, my truth, my God, my church, my politics. Is now the time when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? ISIS cannot stand anything that is the least bit at variation from what they believe, and so they kill it. Even in Islamic faith, they are threatened, not the least of which any other faith as the Christians being killed in Egypt this past week give evidence. Fundamentalism, whether conservative or liberal, is always a move back inwardly, a move into its own localization. It's Middlebury College who completely revolted violently against inviting Charles Murray to speak. Both sides are equally. It's about my bubble. And Jesus' commencement speech to his disciples was meant to blow that bubble to smithereens. He says, it's not your place to know the time or place when God will do anything. Instead, he says, you will receive the power from the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and even into the ends of the earth. So much for just Israel. Samaria? They're our enemies. The ends of the earth, where all those weird people are, nobody goes across the tracks to the ends of the earth. It goes against everything it means for them to be chosen gods, chosen blessed ones. They have been blessed by virtue of their ancestry to Abraham, who, remember, was called by God, Abraham and Sarah, called by God to leave their parents' bubble and move out into the world in order to become a blessing for all the world. And what you find in the Bible is that God's will for that movement out into the world, this movement of larger and larger inclusion, is written all through it, ultimately coming to culmination in the life and death and resurrection of Christ Even the grave could not hold him in. He blew the doors off every understanding of inclusion. Even death could not stop him. That's the movement in the Bible, yet there's also this counter-movement, this counter-pressure by the human condition, and every single one of us are guilty, starting with those 
in Israel. Let's make God our God. Let's make God the God of the sun, the fire by night, and the cloud by day. Let's make him even smaller and make God, let God hover over our tent of meeting. Let's put God over the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. Let's make God the God of our Torah and our laws. Let's bring God even closer still into our temple in Jerusalem. Even smaller, let's put God in the Holy of Holies and hide it by a curtain. Always this human propensity to make God smaller and smaller into our own image. Well, God is at the meantime blowing that idolatry out of the water. The question the disciples had is our question. What are we supposed to do now? Who are we now that you have been our leader and now that you are to leave us? Who are we and with whom are we called to connect? They should have known looking at Jesus' life. He was always connecting with those who were outside. He was always calling that insular, human, Israeli, Hebrew, law, Torah, chosenness into question, which is why he got crucified. He he blew the bubble out of it. Every single turn, he's blowing that out, out, out. They should have known, yet they still lived with their own little insular, is this the time to make Israel great again? And Jesus tells them, your purpose in life, why you exist now, is to move outward. Forget about Israel. Forget about your self-identity. Now your job is to move out into Judea. Israel didn't like Judea. Samaria, they hated Samaria. And the ends of the earth, the Romans, even past the Romans, there is no place we're not called to go and give witness to the love and reconciling, reconciling grace of God. There is no place we're not called to be a presence of God's compassion and forgiveness and mercy. No place, the ends of the earth. And just as it's so, the ends of the earth is the whereabout, just so is it the calling and purpose we're called to leave our cozy little places and move out into the world to give witness to the love of God as we understand it in Jesus Christ. To be a reconciling presence in the world that so desperately needs it. And if we sit around and worry about the survival of the PCUSA or the survival of our country or the survival of me or the survival of Riverside, it's dead. It's dead always. The only way life comes is if we move out of ourselves into a greater and greater world. So I googled graduation speeches and the first one that came up was Mark Zuckerberg's speech to Harvard. I hate Facebook. I saw the movie. He wasn't a charitable character. I was, 
I had trouble being sympathetic with Mark Zuckerberg. So I decided to read his speech. I'm going to read a little bit to you now. I was contained in my own insular little stereotype because Mark Zuckerberg blew the doors off of what I believed about him. He got it. Today he says to Harvard graduates, I want to talk about purpose. But I'm not here to give you the standard commencement about finding your purpose. We're millennials. We'll try to do that instinctively. Instead, I'm here to tell you finding your purpose is not enough. The challenge for our generation is creating a world where everyone has a sense of purpose. Purpose is that sense that we are part of something bigger than ourselves, that we are needed, that we have something better ahead to work for. Purpose is what creates true joy and happiness. Membership in communities and organizations is declining, he said. Many people feel disconnected and depressed, and they're trying to fill a void. To keep our society moving forward, we have a generational challenge to not only create new jobs, but create, to create a new sense of purpose. And again, it's not about purpose for yourself. It's about creating a sense of purpose for others. I found out the hard way, he said. You see, my hope was never to build a company, but to make an impact. And as all these people started joining us, I just assumed that's what they cared about too. So I never explained what I hoped we'd build. Nearly everyone else wanted to sell. Without a sense of higher purpose, this was the startup dream come true. It tore our company apart. After one tense argument, an advisor told me if I didn't agree to sell, I would regret the decision for the rest of my life. Relationships were so frayed that within a year or so, every single person on the management team was gone. That was my hardest time leading Facebook. I believed in what we were doing, but I felt alone, and worse, it was my fault. I wondered if I was just wrong, an imposter, a 22-year-old kid who had no idea how the world worked. Now, years later, I understand that is how things work, with no sense of higher purpose. It's up to us to create it so we can all keep moving forward and outward together. He goes on, today we have a level of wealth inequality that hurts everyone. When you don't have the freedom to take your idea and turn it into an historic enterprise, we all lose. Right now our society is way over-indexed on rewarding success, and we don't do nearly enough to make it easy for everyone to take lots of shots. Let's face it, there is something wrong with our system when I can leave here and make billions of dollars in 10 years while millions of students can't afford to pay off their loans, let alone start a business. That's not even counting the billion or so people who have a dollar a day. 
In a survey asking millennials around the world what defines our identity, the most popular answer wasn't nationality, religion, or ethnicity. It was citizen of the world. That's a big deal. There's pressure to turn inwards, he says. This is the struggle of our time. The focuses of and forces of freedom, openness, and global community against the forces of authoritarianism, isolationism, and nationalism. This is not a battle of nations, it's a battle of ideas. Change starts local. Even global changes start small with people like us. In our generation, the struggle of whether we connect more Whether we achieve our biggest opportunities comes down to this. Your ability to build communities and create a world where every single person has a sense of purpose. Before you walk out those gates one last time as we sit in front of Memorial Church, Mark Zuckerberg at Harvard As we sit in front of Memorial Church, I am reminded of a prayer. He's Jewish. Mi Shibarach is the name of the prayer. I say it whenever I face a challenge, and I sing it to my daughter thinking about her future when I tuck her into bed. It goes, may the source of strength who blessed the ones before us Help us find the courage to make our lives a blessing. I hope you find the courage to make your life a blessing. When God first called Abraham and Sarah out of their bubble, he said to them, go to the place that I will show you and I will make of you a blessing to all nations, all nations. May the Spirit of God give us the courage to understand that when Jesus ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, he did so so that he could be in all places, not just our own tiny little bubble. Let us stand and say what we believe using the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born under the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, and he ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence we shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.